Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 54 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Iron Lungs. <laughs> and I'm joined here by my captivating co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man whose infamy is rooted in making retail traders fall like the autumn leaves, a man who was monikered as the scarecrow because he was outstanding in his field. I am talking about the heartthrob of Eastern Europe. Hey, how's it going? Good, brother. We're going to start calling you the COVID kid now, too. Uh, the COVID kid, man. I bounced back, man. We in the game. Yeah. And our guest today started his career in 98 at a prop trading firm in Tampa Bay, Florida. 2002, he launched a small hedge fund with a handful of investors trading in commodities and futures. This led him to become a member of the Chicago Board of Trade. He's worked for StockTwits as community director. He currently works with trade ideas and sales training and marketed strategy. He's a chief options strategist for All Star Charts. He's Chicago Sean on Twitter, but somehow a Buffalo Bills fan. I'm talking about Sean McLaughlin. Sean, how's it going, man? What's happening? Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, our pleasure, man. I, I'm assuming, Sean, you're from Buffalo. You, I, I've never met someone who's a Bills fan and not from Buffalo, right? Yeah, well, you know, uh, yes, I am from Buffalo, New York. I'm born and raised, and uh, Buffalo's chief export is humans. Uh, we grow up and we all leave. <laughs> that's why there's Bills fans all over the country. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, chief export, uh, humans. Oh, man, they're, they're, they're real exciting to watch. Like I was telling you beforehand, uh, Josh Allen's probably my favorite player to watch, man. I, I just uh, just plays, like, tough football, throwing the ball great. It's awesome to watch. He's getting better every week, man. It's so fun. So fun. It really is. Uh, I, I saw the, uh, the, I don't know if you're much of a gambler outside of the uh, Wall Street casino. Uh, do, do, do you bet at all? You know, I enjoy Texas Hold'em. Okay, nice. But when I, but when I go to a casino, uh, I, I don't find gambling to be fun. Like my, when I go with my wife, like she'll play blackjack and I'll just kind of sit there and watch. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, enjoy the free drinks. But uh, I don't know, man, I guess being involved in the stock market, I feel like I have better odds there. So um, I've never been much of a gambler. But that said, it's funny you asked that because literally just last night, I just finished uh, the book called The Biggest Bluff. Have you read this book? Amazing book. Yeah, I love it. It was a fantastic read. I really enjoyed it. And uh, it, it made me want to go play some some Texas Hold'em. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Well, well, Sean, you know, I was I was a uh, professional poker player before I, I became uh, a trader, and so like she really nailed it, uh, nailed it on the head. Um, just the I mean, whole. Her, I mean, she came out of basically she had zero experience yeah. with poker, right? And and basically within a year she was cashing in tournaments. That's that's amazing. Yeah, well, I think it's a testament to her for sure. Like in her, uh, I mean, she's a Harvard graduate. You know, obviously a very smart woman. And uh, I, I just like how she, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, Sean, and I've always believed this and I'm really gl glad she wrote about it because uh, she went, she, if I'm not mistaken, she went under learning poker to like learn more about herself uh, of why she couldn't uh, maybe risk take in certain scenarios. And I've always looked at poker and I think though this is true for the markets as well as like a means for self-discovery. Um, and that's actually something I was going to ask you. Um, about the podcast, is there anything that you've learned about yourself personally through trading? <laughs> well, I've been trading for uh, what it'll be 23 years this summer. 
Um, I think I've learned everything about myself in trading. Um, It's just trading uh, just reveals all your weaknesses as a human, right? As well as your strengths. I don't want to say it's all bad, but uh, if you have any weaknesses in your psyche and your confidence uh, and your willingness to put in the work, the markets will expose it. If not right away, it will eventually. And, uh, you know, I've been down that road. It, it, trading has not been easy for me. Uh, I've been very streaky throughout my career. I've had great runs where I've gone, you know, months and years doing really well. And then I've gone on the flip side where I've gone months and years where I haven't done well. Um, and those are the demons that I'm always fighting. Um, and it, it seems like it seems like every month I'm, I'm like, adding another thing to the list of something I learned about myself or a limitation I learned about myself. Uh, It's never ending. And so I know you have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are relatively new to trading. And I'm here to tell you, I'm sorry, I'm 23 years in and I'm still learning stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible um, that that's the case. It's, it's just really fascinating to me, Sean, it was there anything, I guess we could say from your early on in your career, that uh, really stuck out to you that like, you know, along these lines of what we're talking about that you needed to correct that the market shows you? Oh, man, there's, there's so many things I wish I could go back and do over. I mean, I, I kind of joke, people have heard me say this joke before, but uh, I say that uh, I've spent the last 16 or so years of my career unlearning all the bad habits I learned in the first four years. Because yeah. uh, when I started in 1998, it was uh, during the, uh, the rise and bust of the uh, te- uh, dot-com uh, stock market boom and bust that we've never seen anything like it. Yes, we're, we're in a big rally right now. It's been going on for years, but we're still nowhere near the type of trading we saw in 1999, 2000, when the tech bubble burst. I mean, it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I was very profitable as a trader. I mean, I worked with a bunch of other guys and there were other guys doing way better than me, but, you know, relatively speaking, I was still doing, making great money. And, but what I found was starting to trade in 1998, I didn't know this at the time. How could I know? I didn't know anything about the stock market, but I thought that was normal. I thought, oh, this is how stocks trade. This is cool. And so I learned (laughs) habits in 98, 99, and 2000 that made money in that market. And now I've come to find out years later, like, oh man, that wasn't normal. All those things I learned and all those techniques that I used, they don't work. They don't work long-term. They just work (laughs) in that one weird market. Um, So uh, you know, it's, I'm still unlearning those bad habits, but, uh, and I, I kind of got off track there. I forget how that, that uh, question started, yeah. but it, it, it's been a ride, man. That's for sure. Yeah, no, well, I, I like, I like where it led because this is something I, I think about a lot, Sean, especially like with me and JJ, you know, we have a community, you know, traders come in, uh, some with, uh, bad habits. Right. So, and like you said, in your first, in like your formative years of trading, you might've learned some bad habits, what, what are you think are some good methods to help combat or to like retrain your mind to, to get, you know, to get to where you need to be? Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I wish I, one of the lessons I really wish I took to heart early on when I started in that office in Tampa, Florida, was there was one guy in our office who he wasn't there to make a million dollars although he did, (laughs) but he wasn't there to make a million bucks. He wasn't trying to blow the doors out every day and he wasn't trying to be the world's best trader. But what he did every day is he had a goal. He wanted to make 500 bucks a day. That was his nut, right? If I can make 500 bucks a day, I'm good. And so when the market, when the bell rang at 930, 
he'd start banging keys and start making trays. And if he made 500 bucks in the first 10 minutes of the day, done, he's out. He would close the computer down and he would leave the office. We wouldn't see him again until the next day. Other times he might stay there all day, hacking away, you know, making nickels and dimes and, and eventually get to his target by let's say two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then he'd shut it down. But he was so damn consistent about that. It's so almost militant about it. He's like, I'm here to make 500 bucks. As soon as I make it, I'm out. And I, I, you know, I saw, I looked at that at the time thinking, what's he doing? He's leaving so much money on the table because there were guys in my office who were really killing it. I mean, we're talking 24 year old kids who are pulling down 10, 20 grand a day. I mean, it was just stupid, stupid money going on at that time. But you know what? 20 years later, all those guys that were making 10, 20 grand a day, none of them are trading anymore. They're all out of the business for various reasons. But the common thing is for most yeah. of them, they couldn't make money anymore. Mm -hmm. The guy that was making 500 bucks a day, he's still hacking away. He's still making money and he's still doing ready. better than anybody I know. And I wish I took that heart, took that to heart when I was getting started because, you know, I had dollar bills in my eyes, right? I'm like, Oh, I'm going to make all this money. This is so easy. I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 30. Nope. If I just would have had a, a reasonable goal and, and stuck to it, I would have been way better off. And, you know, that, that's a lesson I think that uh, a lot of new traders need to learn is, is a lot of traders come to our business uh, with, with expectations that are, do not match reality. Every trader wants to, or I shouldn't say every, but so many people come to our business because why? They want to quit their job and they want to become a full-time day trader because they think day traders have the easiest life in the world. They make their own hours. They don't have a boss. They can wear pajamas all day. You know, that, that's what they see, right? And that's, there's plenty of people on YouTube who are selling you videos that, that do just that, right? But the reality is, is this job is one of the hardest jobs out there. There's a reason why less than 5% of the people who attempt this business can actually make a long-term living at it. It's so damn hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, well said. And uh, it's, it's probably one of the biggest uh, concepts. I think you touched on it, like saying how some of these guys aren't here. This is a long-term game that we're in. It's not about how you're doing in the short run. It's can you make it 10 years? Can you still be trading down the line? JJ, I'm sure you've seen that with people um from your days that are uh, still not trading yeah oh yeah i mean it i come from the deal side of things right and in the deal side of things it's the same thing the guys who had public companies and they worked them for three four years instead of trying to do a three-week pump and dump they walked away with three four five six hundred million dollars right you know they put in four or five years they cashed out made four or five hundred million bucks they're done the guys, and you know, and some of them are still doing deals. The guys who tried to go for the quick buck, right? You know, they do that $6 million pump and dump, the T plus three special, right? <laughs> Guess what? The SCC comes knocking, you get a little Wells notice, you know, 1500 bucks an hour for a lawyer, three or four of those, right? Your $6 million, then the tax guy comes. Right. So then you pay your SEC fine. Hey, then you're busted. Then you got to, you know, it's the same thing with trading. You see guys and the, the bad thing about trading is they don't police the marketing. Right. So it's, you know, everybody's sitting on their Lamborghini with a girl in a bikini. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, trading is so seductive. Like people want to make the big score. They, they hear about the big scores. Oh. We've all read market wizards and we've heard about the traders that had these big runs. But the reality is, is most of the people who actually make a go at this business they're not hitting grand slams all the time. They're just, they have a repeatable process that they could do over and over again. They're mostly just hitting singles and doubles. They're grinders. 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 Yeah. Yeah, That's why, that's why I've always loved the movie uh, rounders, you know, Mike McGarry, he was a, he was a grinder, you know, he was, it was nothing flashy. He got in the trenches. You just grind it out. And, you know, and I think Sean, I, I believe the biggest bluff talked about this, uh, about being process process oriented. And that's what I really learned from poker uh, coming over to trading. And I see like a lot of people don't focus on, right. It's like having a repeatable process, focusing on the process, not the results. How, how was that for you to, how do you finally turn the, uh, the corner, I guess on that. Cause it's so hard for humans for us not to be uh, results oriented. I, I don't think that's like our brains aren't even programmed that way. So how, how do you really just focus, stick to the process? Yeah, it's, it's hard uh, because, you know, as traders, we see the result, you know, loud and clear flashing on our screen in real time, how much money we're up and how much money we're down. That's a real time result. There's no way around it. Um, I haven't done this personally, but I've definitely heard of traders who like, you know, they'll, they'll put tape over their screen so they don't see their PL so <laughs> they can just focus on the process. That's not something I've ever done. Um, but, you know, I, I wish I could say there's an easy way to do it, but it just takes time. And, and you know, at, at Trade Ideas, you mentioned I work at Trade Ideas. We, we deal with a lot of uh, people who are brand new to markets and they, they come, they want to use our software because, you know, they got an idea that they want to use and Trade Ideas can help them do that better. Um, and you know, they're always, I shouldn't say always, but we often will get people like, Hey, what's the best way to make money? What's the best way to do this? And, and, and I tell everybody that asks me, I say, look, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that will take the place of just putting the time in ass in the seat, making mistakes, taking losses, taking wins, going through the ups and downs of your equity curve and your emotions. Uh, I mean, nothing more, nothing that other than time in the seat can, can, can surpass that. Okay. I don't care what kind of trading strategy you have. I don't care what kind of back testing you've done. I don't care if you've got the best mentor in the world. Uh, you got to put the time in and until you put the time in, uh, you're not going to be where you want to be. Yes. Traders get lucky all the time. It does happen. And of course those people go, go on and write books and make YouTube videos about how great they are because they got lucky. Um, and that's fine. Look, I think, I think you would you guys would agree that in poker and trading, there is luck involved, right? But we create our own luck by having those repeatable processes, by staying in the game, by putting the time in, uh, by just you know showing up and grinding every day. We create our own luck. And yes, luck is a factor. When, when I have a really good trading day or a really good week, if I look back on it, I could say, yeah, I got lucky. But I created that luck in many ways. Yeah. No, I love it. I, I agree hundred percent with everything you're saying. And I, I remember when we talked to uh, market wizard author, Jack Schwager, a few episodes ago, I asked him about that uh, with the luck factor played into some of these guys success. What he, what was his thoughts? And he was saying that like the difference between these guys and others is that they, I, they capitalize on the luck that they had. So I, I thought that was an interesting uh, take on that. So uh, just a reminder to the listeners, uh, if you'd like to trade alongside JJ and myself, smart, supportive community of traders, we trade futures, equities, and options. Join us at microefutures.com. Sean, um, 
Hey, unlike your buddies on Twitter, uh, I don't see the CMT next to your name. I, I feel like that's a requirement, right? If you have a CMT, you have to put it in your title. Yours is N- NLD. What's what's that about? <laughs> yeah, on Twitter, it says Sean McLaughlin NLD. Well, NLD stands for no letter designations. Oh, yeah. That's those are my those are my letters. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it was kind of a fun dig. And my, I mean, I got a lot of friends who are CMTs and they worked hard to get it and they earned it. Uh, and it was you know, kind of a fun dig to those guys, but also like, you know, the people on Twitter that, you know, have to, they have to put their name and their comma PhD or MBA or, you know, whatever. It's like, come on guys, does anybody really care? I mean, that, the, that, and the other thing that really annoys me on Twitter, like when you see Twitter, uh, explainer like a little blurb about who they are the people that put in uh comments are not necessarily reflective of uh, my company or whatever it's like you know it's like god we know dude it's twitter like who cares we're not, no one's gonna hold you accountable we're all just screwing around here oh twitter man twitter is a special place um uh, no kidding so what are your initials gonna be ray we have to f- i know mine's gonna be rph ruthless paper hanger <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to throw in uh, some synonyms with Versace and uh, there's some some kind of something to do with fashion. Yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, Sean, I'm just a little bit curious about your experience um, in Tampa when you were at the the um, the prop firm. How you even just got started, and I just guess you know just in general how your time was. Yeah, I kind of got started by accident. So. My first job out of college uh, in Buffalo, New York, uh, I worked for MetLife, uh, got a job selling mutual funds, which, you know, seemed like a great idea at the time. But, you know, in hindsight, it's like when you work at a place like MetLife, the only people you're going to sell to are your network, the people that you know. Well, I'm a 21 year old kid just coming out of college. The only kids, the only people I know are kids just like me, who if they have $13 left at the end of the week, they're spending it at happy (laughs) hour on Friday. They're not looking to invest in mutual funds. Uh, so, so I did a job for six months and, uh, you know, I, I quit because I was like, this is, I'm not going to make any money here. This sucks. Uh, but while there, I, that was kind of like my first real introduction to the stock market. And it, and it really caught my interest. Uh, I still didn't really know anything about trading or that trading could be a career. Um, but my, my interest was peaked. And then, um, I left that job and moved down to Tampa, Florida. My father uh, lived down, down there and, and it was, it was March and it was the middle of winter in Buffalo, New York, where I was living. And my dad said, Hey, uh, well, if you're looking for work, you don't have a job. Why don't you come down here and live with me and find some work down here? And I was like, it's March, it's Buffalo, it's negative 20 outside and there's a foot of snow. Yeah. Florida sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved down to Florida and uh, eventually found a job, um, which, Again, I'm totally naive to everything, but I found a job with this place that was basically like a pump and dump shop, but not not a pump and dump shop in the way that we all know it. Like we've we've all seen uh, uh, Boiler Room, the movie, and and play, and we all seen uh, Wolf of Wall Street, so we have an idea what a what a uh, Boiler Room, what a pump and dump shop is. The place I was at was kind of like the second derivative of that. Instead of us calling on uh, individuals and trying to get them to invest in some sh- you know, shady penny stock. Instead, we were pitching shady penny stocks, but we were calling brokers and trying to get brokers to get their customers into stuff. Oh my God, so, who did you work for? It's probably one of my clients. <laughs> well, I, I forget the names now. I mean, it's been 25 <laughs> years. That's a good thing. Don't worry. It's okay. You forget the name. That's good. Yeah. But, uh, you know, 
I worked there for, I don't know, four months, and it quickly became clear to me that what we were doing was borderline illegal, if not completely illegal, made me really uncomfortable, and I was looking for a way out. Well, while I was there, uh, one of the guys I work with who became one of my, my great friends, uh, his name's Kenny, um, Kenny found out that there was a day trading firm like three doors down, three buildings down from where our office was in, in Tampa. And he's like, hey, man, Sean, I heard about this day trading office about, you know, right down the street. Let's go down there on our lunch break and check it out. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't, I don't know what that is. Okay. And we went down there and I'll, you know, I'll make a long story short, but um, basically we walk into this room where there's, at the time, there was 10 other traders all staring at computer screens. There was no receptionist or no, nobody at the door. When we opened the door up, we just kind of <laughs> walked into an office and we stood there for what felt like an hour was probably 30 seconds. It was like the 30, 30 seconds longest of my life uh, where finally somebody said, can we help you? Are you guys lost? <laughs> my buddy's like, is this a day trading firm? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, I'll find somebody. I know you need to talk to. And then they send the guy over who was like the manager of the office. And he's like, oh guys, hey, welcome. Come on in. Let me show you around. Uh, here's a couple computers here. Sit on down. Here's a little demo thing. This is the buy button. This is the sell button. Here's a chart. Knock yourselves out. <laughs> We're like, oh, okay. And uh, the thing was so rigged, like it was made in such a way that like anytime you bought a stock, the stock would go up like 50 cents and you'd make, you know, 500 bucks on a thousand shares. And you're like, oh, wow, this is easy. Um, so anyway, my friend, Kenny, he actually had some money. You needed 50 grand to open up a, a trading account oh, okay. with these guys. It was not like a prop firm that you're thinking of. It was more like you brought your money there. They provided all the technology, all the, the access, uh, you know, affordable commissions, which were affordable at the time. Now we'd probably think yeah. they were rape, but, but it was affordable <laughs> at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, and the, you bring your money there and you trade and you keep all your profits. That was the kind of the deal they had there. Um, but my, and my friend did have the money. Um, you know, his wife, he, he was married when he was young, uh, still married to her, still great. Um, but uh, his wife had been in a car accident like the year before. She's totally fine, no injuries or anything, but she won a lawsuit and had some money burning a hole in his pocket. So he's like, I got the money, I'm going to do this. And um, so we ended up going back to this office every day on our lunch break because they said, hey, come on back anytime and play in the demo if you guys are serious about this. And and Kenny was serious, but I'd go just tag along as I was his buddy. And I thought it was interesting. Um, and the owner of the office came up to me after like the fifth day of us being there. And, and Kenny's about, you know, he's, he's decided he's doing it. He's going to open up the money, but it's like a two week process before he can get his money moved over and all that. And the owner comes to me, he's like, Sean, he's like, you, you, uh, you seem really interested in this. How come you're not opening up an account? And I'm like, uh, you know, I dug in my pocket. I pulled out like the five <laughs> bucks I had in my hand. I'm like, this is all the money I have, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm broke. And he's like, okay. Oh, totally. I get it. I get it. No worries. You're welcome to come back anytime and hang out with Kenny. And you know, you you seem like a cool guy. So you're welcome back anytime. I was like, great. So another week goes by. I keep going every day on our lunch break as Kenny's working to get his account open. And after this is like our seventh or eighth time there, the guy comes back to me. We're like a day before Kenny's about to go trading live. And he's Kenny's obviously going to quit the job that we're working together. Um, and the owner guy comes back to me and says, Sean, he's like, you've been coming back here every day. You seem like a smart guy. You seem really interested in this. What if I told you I knew a guy who put up 50 grand for you to trade and you just split your profits with him 50-50? Would you be interested? And I was like, I'll start tomorrow. Let's go. 
<laughs> and so that's kind of how I got started. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it was kind of by an accident and I got thrown into this place with this office, uh, that eventually had about 40 traders and, and every one of us, I mean, there were a few older, but for the most part, we were all in our twenties, mostly guys or a couple of girls, but none of us had any stock market experience. We were all basically just teaching each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, learning on the fly, making mistakes and teaching each other what we learned by, by screwing up. Um, and l- like I mentioned before, we were all learning in a market that was totally unusual, but none of us knew that. So we just all learned a bunch of shitty habits that worked at the time, but over a long run, they didn't. Uh, but that was my start. That was 1998. Uh, I traded at that firm. I think I left 2002, I want to say ballpark right on early 2002. Yeah. At which point I started getting into futures. Yeah. Yeah. And you started a, a small hedge fund. So, yeah. yeah. So, so how did that come about? And you switch over to futures, maybe learn some bad trading habits. Yeah. How'd that come about? So the futures thing happened because um, in 2001, after the bubble burst, you know, we, we all did, we all did great trading stocks in 2000 when, when the, when the market fell over, I mean, on the downside, we were all making money on the upside, but on the downside, we were killing it. I mean, just shorting left and right, just making so much money. It was unbelievable. But that was in 2000. Once 2001 came and the market kind of started to bottom, um, trading really started to shift and, and it was getting really hard to make money in stocks. At least it was getting hard for me and everyone around me because everything that we learned wasn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, uh, one, of the, one of my other trader buddies who's in that office uh, started reading about the, the turtle traders. You guys have probably heard about the turtle trader saga. Yep. Um, and, and I found that fascinating. And, and um, so he and my, me and my buddy started um, you know, digging into that and start uh, exploring that. Then we started, we opened up like some uh, um, paper trading accounts with this firm. And I forget what they were called, but they did this like simulated trading thingy with futures and you could build a track record and get like real brokerage statements, whatever. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And we started doing these, building these trend following models with, with futures. And, uh, and, you know, it was on paper, we were doing pretty well. Well, meanwhile, while that was going on, um, the accountant that I had in Tampa that did, did my taxes. Uh, obviously, he saw that I had done really well in the previous couple of years trading stocks. And uh, I think it was when we were doing my taxes in, tw- in 2001, he just kind of like kind of off the cuff. He was like, you ever thought about managing money for anybody? And I was like, um, no. Why? <laughs> He's like, well, you know, I, I know some people that are, are looking to invest in some traders and, uh, you know, I think maybe you would be good at it if, if, if you'd like, I can introduce you to some people. And so that kind of started me down the road. And I liked this idea about trading the managed futures. And I liked that it was scalable and I could trade a lot of money that way. Uh, and so um, long story short, my accountant introduced me to a couple of people uh, and they basically invested in me. They backed me and they backed me really small. I mean, we're talking, it was, I had just under a million bucks uh, with everybody's money. And it was really just one big guy and then five small investors. And, and the thinking was that these guys would help me get my track record. Because you really, if you want to manage money professionally, you need a minimum of a three-year documented track record of performance, which I didn't have that, at least with managed futures, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so the thinking was these guys would invest in me and, and we'd get this going for three years while I build my track record. And then after three years, then we'd really blow it up and, and start bringing in some, some serious money. Uh, and everything was going great. Um, I made good money for my investors. 18 months in, we were up 
56% after my two and 20 fees. Uh, so everybody's happy. Everyone's doing well. well unfortunately, my, the one big investor, like who's the majority of the money, he was an old guy who's in his late seventies. Um, he decided he wanted to uh, take his money and, and invest it in bonds and sail off into the sunset and retire. And uh, unfortunately for me, uh, having to you know, send him his money back, I didn't have enough left in the, in the portfolio to really manage risk the way I needed to, the way I wanted to, without taking more risk than I should. So, uh, so I had to shut it down now, which, you know, it's, in hindsight is kind of one of my greater uh, regrets in my career. I wish I either fought for it a little harder. Um, you know, it was like the first time anybody had asked for a redemption and I didn't want to like be the guy that's like, you know, makes it tricky and, you know, hard on somebody. Yeah. I wanted to send a good message to everybody else. Like, Hey, you want your money back? Here it is. You know, right. we're, we'll depart as friends. Um, but in hindsight, I, I wish I had fought for it or at least, uh, you know, found some people to replace that money so I could keep that track record going. So it was a good thing. And uh, anyway, but I did that for, like I said, it was 18 months once we actually went live and, and went going. And so 2003 through 2000, almost 2005, I think is when we closed it down. At which point during that time, I moved from uh, Tampa to Chicago. And, yeah. uh, and I was in Chicago at that time by the time we closed that down. Yeah, yeah. And you got a, you got a seat at the... Uh... Yeah, so I got a seat. Uh, the way that came about was when I moved to Chicago, uh, I was just you know managing my fund uh, out of my apartment, right? I mean, I was a one-man operation working out of my, my, my apartment. And I don't know how this guy got my number, but some broker from the Board of Trade just cold called me. And uh, I have no idea how he got my phone number. He called me on my cell phone. And he's like, hey, you know, I understand you manage money and, uh, you, you know, we'd love to earn your business. How can we get you to move your money to, uh, to our, our place? And, and I basically, you know, said, hey, thanks for calling, but uh, I'm happy with where I'm at. Uh, my, my broker was also based in Chicago. So, you know, I got to hang out with them now that I'm in Chicago and they were super great to me and they helped me get started. I was like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Um, you know, goodbye. <laughs> and I don't know, two days later, a guy calls me back again. And he's like, hey, you know, I was thinking since we last talked, he's like, you're working out of your apartment, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, and you're a one-man shop? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why don't you come on down to my office? I'm in the Chicago Board of Trade building. Uh, I want to show you around and, uh, you know, I'll give you a tour of the floor. I was like, oh, well, that sounds cool. I've never, haven't been on the floor yet. That, that's awesome. So I only lived a couple miles from, from the Board of Trade. So I walked down there. I'm a, I'm a big walker. <laughs> I like to walk. Uh, so I walked down to the board of trade then the next day and uh, met with this guy and he gave me the tour and it was awesome. I had a great time. Then he took me up to his office up on the 28th floor and kind of took me around the office and, and brought me into this one room where it was like an empty room and it had these windows that looked straight down the South street, just a beautiful view. And it was an empty office. And he said, Sean, I'll tell you what, if you'd be interested in moving your account to us, you know, we'll keep your commissions the same competitive to where you're at right now. But if you bring your account to us, this office is yours. No, no charge, totally free. You'll have our back office staff. You'll have fax machines, phones, internet, computer, everything you need. Just move your account here and this office is yours. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. Now we're talking. This is, now we're in the big leagues. Um, so, so that's what I ended up doing. I ended up moving my account to these guys, uh, to this firm that, that really just serviced floor traders. They didn't really have a whole lot of managed futures business. They were basically just handling the locals business for, for the guys that traded on the floor. Um, but that was cool because I'm in this office and basically 
the office, most of the office just kind of served as a lounge for the guys who were floor traders that like wanted to come up during their lunch breaks or they needed, you know, to cool off or chill out or whatever. So I'd get to hang out with these guys and just pick their brains. Like, and these were guys who were trading cattle, guys who were trading wheat and oats and corn and, and all the stuff that traded the board of trade. And it was just really cool to just learn this perspective uh, of the guys. And so that kind of got me my brain turning. And then I found out that um, at the time you could lease a seat that had a limited license that gave you the ability to just trade a couple products. And the big product, the one that had the most liquidity was um, electronic Dow futures. Now that didn't trade on the floor. It's all electronic. Um, but there was a, the big futures, the big Dow futures traded in the pit, in a big pit on the, on the floor of the board of trade. And I found out that I could, I could lease a, a seat to basically make me a member of the exchange. It was only a hundred bucks a month to lease the seat. And, not, and as cheap as that was, the real selling point was as a regular customer, if I'm going to trade mini Dow futures, I think my commission was like, at the time, it was like four bucks a contract or something stupid like that, three bucks a contract. But as a member, only paying a hundred bucks a month for, to lease this seat, my commissions would be 25 cents a contract. I was like, well, shit, do the math on that. Right. I mean, the, the, light, the, the seat pays for itself. Yeah. It's super, you know, exactly. why not? And I was already like really interested at that point. And then I found out that I could lease a booth on the top ring of the Dow pit. So I basically standing at the top of the pit where I could touch the traders in the pit and trading the big Dow contract. And I could lease that seat or that, that booth for 50 bucks a month. I was like, what? I could become a member of the exchange for a hundred bucks a month and I could lease a booth on the floor. I'm part of the action and I'll, ha I'll have all this edge because I'm going to see the <laughs> exactly. contract trading the pit and I could totally pick it off on the electronic. Had all these grand plans of becoming like this awesome scalper of mini Dow futures. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it didn't work out the way I planned. I, I mean, I did become a member and I did do all that. I did get down on the floor. Uh, but I spent six months down there on the floor and I could not find an edge. I was just getting my clock cleaned on a daily basis. Um, so it was a fun time. It was a fun experience. I was happy to say I spent time on the floor. I wasn't technically a floor trader, um, yeah. but I got to spend six months on the floor every day. And uh, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, but that's my Chicago Board of Trade membership story. Yeah, that's, cool. uh, that, yeah, that's awesome. I bet it was so much fun. And like you said, I, uh, I like how you're picking the brains of all the guys, just soaking up the experience and the knowledge. I, I want to ask you, Sean, uh, about the strategy you employed with the uh, hedge fund. You said you did a trend trading strategy. Were you doing that with uh, equities trading as well? Why did, why did you choose to do a trend, trend trading? No, I did it with futures uh, mostly because, I mean, the whole reason I got inspired to do the trend following was because I, you know, I, I researched that whole uh, turtle trader story and I just found the whole thing fascinating. And I liked the idea that I could uh, invest across, you know, 30 different markets that are, you know, very mostly loosely correlated. Um, and so that, that whole idea fascinated me. I mean, I suppose I could have done it with, with stocks as well, but I just, you know, got into the whole futures thing and I liked the leverage on it. I liked, it. I didn't have to have a whole lot of money to control, you know, a, a notional value, a high notional value. Uh, it was just more efficient. And, and, and uh, 
you know, you can go equally long, equally short, no problem. Um, yeah, I just like that better. But in hindsight, yeah, I could have traded my strategy with stocks. I just never went down that road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what do you guess your general thoughts on uh, trend following versus uh, mean reversion? Well, I mean, there's, there's people who are going to tell you that one's better than the other. And uh, I would argue that one is better than the other. And then the other is better than the other. I mean, it goes back and forth. It kind of depends on what kind of market you're in. Uh, I think there's a case to be made to, uh, to employ both strategies simultaneously, maybe not in the same products, but uh, it's a good idea to have a good mix of uh, trend following strategies and mean reversion strategies. It's not something I do personally, but I mean, it totally makes sense, uh, you know, philosophically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, honestly, that, that's what I try and do. I, 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 that's the way I look at it is um, I don't want to limit myself, but I, I guess more tools in the toolbox, but I guess it's a fine line too, is to not add too many things, right? Like you'd rather do one thing really well. Um, but I, you know, I, I like to keep it uh, more tools in the toolbox, I guess, like you said, because one could be good in one market, one could be good in another, et cetera. Um, so Sean, your um, preferred um, method for financial betting is options? Yeah, I primarily trade options these days, uh, sometime around 2008. I mean, I always dabbled in options, even from the very beginning when I started in 98 at, at the stock trading firm. Uh, I always had like a little E-Trade account on the side where I'd do some uh, random uh, options trading. Never much success, but I, I was always interested. But it was around 2008, uh, after I closed the hedge fund down, after I left the board of trade and I was looking for something new to do, uh, I started really digging into option strategies and, uh, you know, I, I looked into a lot of income strategies, you know, Delta neutral iron condor type things that that's kind of really what first caught my attention. And I just really went down the rabbit hole. I'd say it was right around 2008, I think is when I really uh, started focusing there. And I've primarily, uh, done options since then. I still trade stocks, the occasional stock from time to time. Um, haven't done much futures in a while, but I'll occasionally do a futures trade. But it's yes, I'd say 99% of my trades now are options. Awesome. And what, what, what makes you gravitate more towards options, towards futures or equities? I'm sorry, say that again? Uh, what makes you gravitate towards options? What's uh, instead of, you know, futures or? You know, I think what what the original appeal to me about options was the fact that I can create strategies that can make money regardless of what I think the market's going to do. Like, I think I'd proven to myself over time that I'm not really good at picking out which stock is going to scream higher or which futures contract is going to scream lower. But, you know, my directional bets were 50-50 at best, right? And so with options, I loved the idea that I could put on, let's say, an iron condor, right, or a straddle where I'm not really picking direction. I'm just, you know, either hoping for a big move in either direction, or I'm hoping for a sideways move if it's like a credit spread. Um, and so it kind of took the pressure off me to be, you know, being such a great prognosticator or, you know, having some kind of innate skill that I know where the market's going next, because I, I don't think I'm any better than, any, than a coin flip and uh, figuring out which way the market's going. So that was my, my initial appeal for sure. Yeah. Awesome. I, uh, I want I want to ask you because you are an options trader. Um, I don't trade options. I uh, just just strictly equities. But something I do look at, I look at unusual options volume, and I find it relatively uh, 
uh, it's a big part of my process, I guess, of, of me coming to determining if I want to take a trade or not. Uh, why, why do you think that's the case? Well, I know a lot of people that uh, like to trade options that have unusual options volume. I, I know my friend, John Najarian uh, is a big proponent of that type of stuff yeah. uh, and nothing wrong with it. It's great. I mean, if it works for you, it's great. I've never been attracted to unusual options volume uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, I always feel like I've always felt like if there's some unusual options volume that's going on, that tells me that somebody knows something Someone's got some kind of inside info that I don't know, and it's going to be used against me in some way. Maybe that's just a conspiracy theorist in me thinking. Uh, so, so there was that, that's that piece. And the second piece was, you know, unless I know who that buyer or seller was, I mean, it, it could just be somebody hedging a large position, putting on a big trade, right? It could be a hedge fund that's overly exposed in Apple long stock and they're, they're worried because earnings are coming up. So they just, you know, they buy 10,000 put contracts, right? doesn't mean they're making a big bearish put on uh, a sure. big bearish bet on Apple. They're just hedging their risks. They're actually very bullish on Apple. So, you know, I've just, I've, I've never liked it because I, I just, I could not find the edge. I don't feel like I have the inside information. Now, again, I know there's a lot, a lot of people that, that focus on that and do very well at it. And that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I always say, um, to traders that uh, I, I call it the trader's paradox, the, the paradox of successful trading. And that is when you look at all the people that lose in trading, which is the majority of people, right? It really comes down to, they all lose for like one of the same five reasons, right? It's like they're, they're over trading, uh, they're trading too big, they're undercapitalized, they're not honoring their stop losses. I mean, it's like, it's like the same reasons for everybody that loses money more or less. On the flip side, you could put a hundred traders in a room, hundred, I'm sorry, a hundred successful traders in a room, traders who've been making money year after year for a decade, right? And yes, of those 100 traders, you'll probably find some commonalities between strategies of how they make their money. But I promise you, every one of those 100 successful traders is making money in a different way with their own flavor, with their own thing. And so the paradox is, if there's only five ways to lose money, but there's an infinite amount of ways to make money, why do most people lose? Mm. I don't have the answer to that, but that, that's the paradox that I'm always thinking about. Yeah, no, I, I, that's what I love so much about trading compared to other games, um, poker, uh, chess, et cetera. Pretty much almost any other game, there's only one strategy that's really acceptable or played by the top in the field. Uh, and trading, there's so many different ways to skin a cat. And, and I really enjoy that um, about it. I, I, I want to uh, ask you um, about the option that this while we're on this discussion, right? Because the reason you say you stay away from it kind of, um, and I'm always going to fault to you, JJ, I always, I always default to JJ as well. You guys are way more experienced than myself. So uh, if my thinking is right or wrong, because the reason why you say so you might stay away from it is the reason why I'm kind of drawn to it. Cause it's like, okay, what does, if I'm seeing a lot of volume, what do these guys know that I don't know? And I'm more of kind of like, okay, let me follow them. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I I'm thinking uh, maybe trying to follow some of that inf info. I don't know. Is that, um, I don't know if that's sound thinking or not. That That's all great until you hit across a position where someone's creating a position to mislead. People. Well, well, no. Well, okay. Well, okay. Let me put you this. This is not the only thing I'm looking at, right? I'm looking yeah, at no, no, I'm just saying one part the, of the process, if it lines up with other data yeah, points. I agree. Yeah. 
Okay. But just yeah, if it agrees with your data points, cool. But sometimes, you know, sometimes we will show volume. I mean, well, in, you know, I did it for I, 29 years to show volume to miss, you know, to trade around you, right? Or right. to create the uh, illusion of something. I mean, I, that's I just what feel like does. I just feel like for me, it, it's just there's so much when there's when there's unusual volume happening there's just so much i don't know about the why about why that's happening and for me i, I that makes me uncomfortable right i want to know where my edge is or at least think i know where my edge is so that i can execute against that i feel like with the unusual volume thing I, you know I, there's just so many unknowns i don't like that makes me uncomfortable but if he's using it with all his other cuz i've seen the way ray trades so he has you know his structure that if it lines up then that, then that's cool yeah. yeah yeah it's not like it's the only thing i'm going with right yeah exactly yeah. well look at the end of the day if you got a process that's repeatable and you can do it over and over again and you're managing your risks properly right. i mean yeah. there's a good chance you'll win i mean yeah. that, that, that's like the dirty little secret and, and this is what i tell trade ideas customers when they come to us with stars in their eyes about how our software is going to make them a million bucks and, and i tell them i say look at the end of the day my, my, my bosses at Trade Ideas might not like me telling you this, but at the end of the day, you could be a profitable trader if you just flip a coin on whether you're going to go long or short. Why? Because if you apply proper risk management and you, you know, size your trade such that you don't risk more than 1% of your capital on any one trade and you always set a stop loss at, let's say, 2% away and you have a profit target at 6% away. I'm just making numbers up. But if you have that process and you're just flipping coins... I'd be willing to bet over time, you actually would make money. The math would work out. Nobody wants to do that. And no one's going to admit that that can outperform a, a, a sexy hedge fund manager, but that's probably, <laughs> there's probably more truth in that than people yeah. are willing to admit. Uh, true. I, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's uh, trading doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, I think if you can simplify it um, as much as you can, I think the better. And uh, one of the people I really look up to, uh, I just finished his book, Ed Thorpe. Uh, man for all markets. I don't know if you guys have read it, but um, that's what they talk about. His brilliance was like, I mean, the guy's probably like literally a genius. Um, and, uh, but he made his strategy so simple. Like he was, he, that's what he really prided himself on is, is simplifying things. Um, and this guy was a genius, right? And so, so I think people get this, this, this misconception that things need to be elaborate or things need to be tricky. Oh yeah. It really doesn't. Like, like Sean said, like it, it's literally all about risk management. Now flip a yeah. coin, have good risk management. You could probably be profitable. Yeah. So, you know, uh, people love to overcomplicate things and, yeah. and at all star charts, I, I run the option service for all star charts and, and uh, we're, you know, we're, we're putting on options bets uh, based on the technical analysis research that the team is doing. And so many times, especially in the last four or five months, just the way the market's been, we've just been doing simple long call trades, yeah. simple yeah. long call spreads. And every once in a while, I get one of our subscribers would be like, hey, don't you guys do like a, a ratio spreads or any kind of, you know, you know four legged one? And I'm like, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. And when the yeah. time is right, we will. But we just want to keep it simple, man. All we care yeah. about is making money. We don't care how we do it. <laughs> well, I, I know, like, I've, I've watched in our equities room, um, they use the trade idea software. And the trades, I, I'm a big proponent of making money without drama, right? And that software just spits out some really nice trades that there's no drama. You know, you put your stops in place. You let the damn thing work, right? And it, it's nice and it's calm, right? Because I come from the side of the street 
where yeah we want to give you like yeah level two yeah here's here's level two you think you know what we're doing now we can steal more from you right you know we like to take you put the blindfold on you spin you around three times and take your wallet right and that's the side of the street that i come from so keeping it simple i'm a big proponent of that you know yeah keeping it simple is so underrated and so important and and you guys know you guys know successful traders Uh, the the majority of the successful traders we know that are not working at a high frequency trading shop, for example, uh, the regular people who are successful, they've just got a handful or maybe one or two simple strategies that they, that they can do with their eyes closed. And it's just, you know, if X happens, I do Y. If A happens, I do B. And they just do that all day long. It's boring as hell, but it works. And that's, you know, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and that's what JJ, that's what you always say, right? Hey, good trading is boring trading. Yeah, and, um, you know. All those grinders that, you know, that we laughed at in, you know, 1996, 97, you know, guys who just grind it out, they, they, <laughs> they're still grinding it out, but now they've got like, you know, 30, 40 million bucks, you know, it's just slowly. <laughs> For sure. But, but Sean, you, know? you, uh, you agree. It's got to be engaging though, right? It's boring, yeah. but it's got to be engaging at the same time. Correct. No, it very much needs to be. In fact, uh, I actually just started this uh, this calendar year. Last week, I started a little YouTube series. I'm terrible at it. I'm so bad at making videos. I'm still learning. Uh, but I did do a little riff uh, just the other day about how, um, yes, trading successful trading can be boring, but it's got to be at least interesting enough to keep you engaged, right? I mean, you got to have a reason other than besides making money, you got to have a reason to want to get up in the morning and engage with the market because look, it's a grind. We've said the word over and over in this podcast, trading is a grind. So there's got to be a part of it. There's got to be a puzzle about it that keeps you interested, keeps your brain turning, keeps you wanting to to plug away and and tweak and and do improvements. And and I ran into this even just this year. Uh, Last week, I started on January 1st, whatever the first trading day was, January 4th. I started a new trading strategy that I'm broadcasting on YouTube. I'm just kind of kicking around an idea. And I did a week, I did it for a week. And at the end of the week, I came to the realization, like I ended the week, uh, ended the week, a, a net scratch, didn't make any money, didn't lose any money, didn't do a whole lot of trades. And I found like I was bored and bored in a bad way. Like, no, this strategy is not going to keep my interest. Like I need to do something else. It's got to be a little bit more active. I got to have a little bit more control. Uh, and so I did a little tweak. So I'm glad you brought that up because Yes, successful trading is boring, but you don't want it to be too boring. You, you, it's got to be a mental challenge. I mean, it's 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 the greatest puzzle in the world, the stock market, and uh, you know you got to have something to look forward to. You got to have something to solve every day. I guess is the way I think of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I love it. I that's why I brought it up. I was like, you know, it makes total sense. Uh, speaking of you incorporating or, or trying out a new strategy, this is something I often think about as well. Because, you know, like we were talking about, I like to have different tools in my toolbox, I like to have different trades, like, okay, if, if market, you know, for different market conditions, et cetera. But obviously there's pitfalls in that too, right? Anytime you incorporate a new strategy, there's going to be some like uh, road bumps. Uh, what advice would you give to people who are either like looking to start a new strategy or modifying an existing one? Oh, man. Well, I guess the advice, some of the advice would be A, start small. Well, maybe even before you start, I mean, you really got to put some time into thinking through scenarios, understanding where your strategy makes money, where your strategy loses money. Uh, You really got to have a good think on that. 
but then quickly you gotta you gotta get involved with real money. I mean, trade it small. That's what I'm doing with the thing on YouTube uh, that you've seen. I'm doing it just one lot. So I'm not risking a whole lot of money, but you have to have real money involved because yes, you can game plan in your mind the way you're going to react when the shit hits the fan in a bad strategy. But until it actually is real money, you're not going to learn how you're really going to react. Uh, and I know, I know we're supposed to take emotions out of trading. I know we're supposed to do that. Everybody says that, but I'm sorry, it doesn't happen. If you're a real person, your emotions are going to get involved, whether you're making a lot of money or you're losing a lot of money. So you have to have the money involved, uh, start small, but you have to do it. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm a perfect example. I've been trading for 23 years and I'm still figuring things out, still learning things. And just last week, I started a strategy that I had been thinking through for a couple of weeks and on paper in my head, it seemed like, okay, I think this is going to work. And then I traded that strategy for a week. And I was like, no, no. I mean, it might work, but I mean, uh, it's not for me. It's not what I want to do. And I didn't know that until I actually did it right. You have to actually do it. Um, and, and we said it before, nothing replaces uh, time in the seat, having your ass in the seat and just, you know, working it, man, you got to work it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. The, the nothing, nothing can replace, uh, replace screen time. Um, Sean, I, I guess I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't ask you about crypto on this podcast. Uh, I guess just your thoughts from, I guess, a fundamental standpoint and just crypto as a trading vehicle. Well, um, I have two divergent thoughts on that. As a trading vehicle, I think it's wonderful. I mean, look, as traders, we just want anything that moves, right? I mean, we'll trade toilet bowls if they move. I mean, <laughs> who cares? Um, so as a trading vehicle, I think it's wonderful. Um, as a long-term investment, I'm a little bit more skeptical. I mean, I, I feel like until I can go to my grocery store and buy apples <laughs> with a Bitcoin, yeah. um, I don't see the I don't see the use for it, um, and you know, I, yeah, I can, there's some things I can buy with Bitcoin, but until I can pay my bills with it, pay my rent, you know, buy groceries, uh, pay for my car, that kind of stuff, until I can do those basic things, then it's not a currency. It's not really a currency. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are going to disagree with me on that, and 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 it may that may happen down the road, and if it does, great. I mean. Yeah. Look, I'm all for getting governments out of money, <laughs> right? Um, it, 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 we shouldn't be able to inflate the value of our money or deflate the value of our money the way governments do. Um, that's a whole different discussion. Um, but I love it as a trading vehicle. I don't trade it myself. I mean, I have traded it a little bit, but I certainly by no means would call myself a Bitcoin trader. I don't have any positions on now. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think it's a great trading vehicle for people who do trade it. And uh, I there's good chance I will trade it in the future. Yeah. Uh, but as a long-term investment, is a world-changing currency? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical. For sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. J- JJ think it's the biggest scam of the century. Um, I love it. I love it. I, I got nothing against them. I think you invent something for nothing. You don't even have to pay legal fees, print stock certificates, pay a transfer agent. It's beautiful, right? Yeah. And you get people to bid 30 grand a pop for this thing? That doesn't exist? Come on. That's genius. This is the, you know? the villain, the you villain know? talking. Sean, what would you what would you say to people that <laughs> say um, for a store of value? So like IE gold, but you know, digital. Well, I mean, right now, how, how can you make a case that it's a store of value when it's so goddamn volatile, right? <laughs> I mean, let, let's just let's just say that 
you, you have a net worth of a million bucks. Okay. And that's all the money you have to your name. Are you going to go invest your entire net worth in Bitcoin right now? I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, yet Bitcoin might double from here. It could also lose 50% of its value in a week. We've seen that happen. Yeah. Um, so store a value? No way. I mean, maybe someday, but yeah. it's not now. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think gold is a store of value. I mean, we can argue about what's a better store of value, but crypto is definitely not at the top of the list. Yeah, yeah. Did, did, have you done any of the um, traded any of the crypto plays on the stock market? Riot, Mara. I don't know if you've traded any options along those. Uh, we have done some crypto related uh, option trades. Um, I believe we did trade a, uh, did, did Riot a, a while back, um, but I wouldn't say it's a focus. I mean, yeah. the, the options trades that we do at All Star Charts. I mean, it's they're basically they're bit, we're we're making bets based on the technical analysis that, that the team's performing. And, and if a crypto related stock is, it comes up on the radar, then great, we'll trade it. But we're not like actively seeking it out on purpose. It's just, if there's a great risk reward opportunity, we'll take it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, JJ, I guess any, uh, any other thoughts on uh, crypto from you? No, I just, I just wish I knew how to trade the damn thing. Um, I, I, you know, it's fun and everything like that, but you know, after, uh, I only trade the ES because I'm trying to keep my blood pressure down. Well, you know, but, you, br uh, you bring up a great point and I, I should have mentioned this before about the Bitcoin. And a, the big reason why I don't trade it is I don't trust the exchanges that they trade on. I mean, yeah, we've all heard the stories. We've all heard the stories of people getting their, their money stolen overnight for, you know, from a yeah, hack. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't trust that. I don't want to put any serious money into something that I don't know I'm going to get back. Yeah. Exactly. I, mean, I, I think what I've been really waiting for to really get involved in crypto is, you know, I want to see it listed on a major exchange like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ mm -hmm. or something like that, where, you know, there's a clearinghouse and there's rules and there's protections. And exactly. So I don't need to worry about my money. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the the whole conflict, I guess, with, with uh, at least Bitcoin. I don't know about the other currencies is that because um, a lot of these uh, I guess crypto enthusiasts don't want the, the regulation or, or not, I want to say the regulation, but the, it's like, okay, it needs to be regulated, but they don't want it to, to regulate it because it's supposed to be like decentralized, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I, I think there's some legit ones, uh, exchanges, at least you could feel safe with. Uh, I know I, I use the one, the, the Winklevoss twins. Um, oh, dude. Oh, yeah, okay. Gemini, Gemini. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay. I think I think your I think it's your money's insured. I don't know. I, I think, but I, I don't handle oh. that much. BTC. Hey, they rode they rode crew. It can't. You know, it's got to be insured. <laughs> hey, no, JJ. I don't know if you saw that, man. These guys met with the the Miami mayor down here. He's trying to make this like the crypto capital of the world. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to get a lot of uh, pro. Uh, I mean, what Goldman's moving down here, right? I think. I think he's trying to be real pro uh, business. And like the finance. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of Wall Street firms moving operations down in Florida. I've been reading about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it should be interesting. I'm uh, right down here. It should be fun. All right. Um, Sean, uh, you, you want to tell uh, the people uh, what you do? I know we spoke a little bit about All-Star Charts. Um, do you want to like speak to All-Star Charts, uh, trade ideas, any other things that you're involved in right now? Well, I mean, uh, sure. I mean, I wear a bunch of hats. Uh, I, uh, I work for Trade Ideas I'm in a sales and training capacity. Uh, I work with a lot of our partners, a lot of our vendors. 
Um, that's, you know, that's what, what I spend most of my day doing, uh, besides trading, of course. Uh, and then I also work with all-star charts. I'm the chief option strategist. Uh, we're basically, um, we take the options or we take the technical analysis research that the, the team produces and I craft uh, option strategies around some of their best ideas. Uh, so we could leverage into those trades using options. Um, those are really, you know, all-star charts, trade ideas, my own trading. That's, that's really, that's my whole day right there. That's a full day. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, keep keeps me keeps me uh, active and humble. That's for sure. Yeah, 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 definitely. Humility is a hu- huge thing for traders, for sure. Um, yeah, shout out shout out to JC. Uh, much love to JC. We like him a lot. Uh, trade ideas, guys. We've had on Merkin. Uh, we've had on Michael. I'm sure that I'm sure Merkin was an interesting character on your podcast. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I say I saved interesting discussions for the end of the podcast. People were like, "Whoa, what the hell?" Like the turn the podcast. <laughs> You know, people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, but it's- uh, you got to love Merkin. He's a, he's a different kind of, he's a different kind of cat. That's for sure. My best I like, he was good. He was the original So's Bandit. He was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, yeah. Thoroughly yeah. enjoyed that one. That was, that was fun. Uh, we, 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 we talked about Cannabis Cup and we talked about Flat Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the Flat Earth thing. The flat That's Earth. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think we talked Flat Earth. Um, you know, a bunch of stuff. It was fun. No, none of this surprises me. None of this. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure you know. I'm sure more than us. But all right, uh, Sean. I, I guess we got some, uh, you know, miscellaneous rapid fire type questions. Uh, then okay. we'll wrap this up. All right. Sure. Um, what traders? Uh, do you have like any traders you look up to? They could be, uh, you know, dead or alive. Well, uh, probably the first trader that I really looked up to was probably Bill Dunn. Down there in your neck of the woods, down there in Florida, uh, he was one, one of the first uh, uh, trend followers. Uh, that he wasn't a turtle trader, but uh, he was in the same mold. And and I, I kind of tried to model uh, the trend following fund that I built to try to model it around what he did, what he did at Dunn Capital Management. Uh, so that was one trader. I mean, I never met him. I've never spoken to him at all, but I uh, just, one guy I really looked up to another one, um, that I did that I have had the opportunity to, to talk with on a number of occasions was Jerry Parker. Um, uh, he was, uh, featured, uh, one of the, I think he was featured in the first, uh, market wizards book, I believe M- maybe, I'm, maybe not, but he's been written about in many different places well, he was one of the original turtles, uh, in the very first, uh, turtle experiment. And, uh, I've gotten to know uh, Jerry a little bit uh, over the years. I uh, had him on a podcast that I used to run for StockTwits uh, years ago. Uh, and then we got him to come out to a Stocktoberfest conference. I got to hang out with him, meet him in person. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had some phone calls uh, in the time since. And just, uh, he's a guy I, I looked up to again, because he had he, he was doing what I wanted to do in the managed future space. As far as like in the options world, uh, you know, I got people I admire, I mean, and, and maybe I'm biased because I consider him a friend, but John Nigerian is a guy that uh, I think I read, read his options book, one of his options books, his first one, I think it was one of the first books on options I ever read. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was pretty, it was cool for me to be able to get to meet him. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, we had some, you know, same circle of friends and I got to hang out with them and we've become friends since. Uh, but, you know, he's an inspiration. Uh, Tony Saliba, uh, he's a market wizard. I've had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, in fact, he and I hung out in India last year, uh, just before uh, the world went into a coronavirus shutdown. Uh, me and JC, All Star Charts, we were out in India to speak oh, nice. at the CMT conference in India. Was he? And, was he uh, in the new book? He was in the new book. Saliba? Uh, Tony Saliba. 
Yeah. No, he was in the, I think he's in, oh yeah. You mean the new, the second one, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I was, I, I'm thinking of the wrong guy. No, I was thinking of like the newest, like the latest book. No, 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 he's in, he's in one of the first two Mark Wizard's okay. books. I think he's in the first one, but if not the first one, definitely the second one. Yeah. Um, but uh, he had a great story in Margot Wizards and uh, it really spoke to me. And, and so I've had the good fortune of getting to know Tony as well. Uh, so that's another options trader I look up to. Um, I mean, and then even guys like that are on, you know, financial Twitter right now, like a guy like Greg Harmon, a uh, good friend of mine. I think he's a phenomenal options trader. You can learn. So, I've, I've learned so much from Greg. Uh, guys like Stephen Place, another friend of mine, great options trader. I've learned a lot from him as well. Um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are people I look up to. Sure. No, that was, that was a great list. Uh, yeah. Listeners, I hope you wrote that down. That's a good list of people right there. Go follow go learn from, uh, Sean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, uh, SPACs. (laughs) Oh man. You know, uh, you, it was said a little while ago about how Bitcoin is the greatest scam on earth. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I promise you a year or two from now, there's going to be lots of headlines about investors who were swindled in SPACs that had no plans on doing anything. And the money disappeared into private accounts in uh, the Grand Cayman or something. Um, Mm -hmm. Look, some of these SPACs are legit. They've been legit. They've, they've done what they were supposed to do. No doubt about it. But I promise you, there's going to be some bad apples in this whole thing. There's going to be some people who get their faces ripped off. It, it smells rotten to me. I don't like it. Um, but, you know, that's what it is. That's what, they, that's what people want. And, and, and if we've learned nothing in our time on Wall Street is that Wall Street will give people what they want. Oh, They'll yeah. They'll a way to sell you anything you want to buy. Definitely. And if you and if we don't have it, we'll invent it and give it to you. <laughs> exactly. Hell, exactly. hell, I'll make the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know me, me and JJ talk about this a little bit, the specs, and it's just uh I don't know, it's different. Since JJ really opened my eyes to what goes on behind the scenes or how the game's really played. I, well the thing about SPACs, I mean the SPACs represent really, in my mind, what's wrong with Wall Street and what, or what's wrong with the stock market. The reason why SPACs exist, in my opinion, is not because people want to invest in these blank check companies. They're, those companies are being created because Wall Street has made it so onerous for companies to go public, to become public. It's so hard. There's so much paperwork. There's so much legal. There's so much money raised. I mean, there's a lot of shit that goes on for a company to become public. So, SPACs were created, in my understanding, maybe I'm wrong, but in my understanding, they've been created to kind of give smaller companies a backdoor into Wall Street so they could kind of skip that whole process. So, exactly. so yeah. it, speaks, it, speaks that, it speaks to the fact that Wall Street's just, they make it too hard for companies to go public now, which then the other thing too, is that you have these companies like Amazon, like Tesla, that are, are trading at $4,000 a share, these crazy <laughs> prices, Companies don't split their stock anymore. They're exactly. making it really hard for the average investor to get involved and trade in a meaningful way. And exactly. so again, SPACs are just filling a need for people who need something to trade and product. want to get involved. It's yeah. a product. And SPAC, I'm sorry, a SPAC is just a fancy shell, right? I've done right. 200 shell reverse mergers, right? And what the thing is about a SPAC is it's quick, right? 
you're in the thing and the, that's the way we work because we're like, oh, what are people buying? Oh, electric? Let's put an electric deal in here. Oh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a COVID deal? Let's put a COVID deal in here. Oh, uh, Bitcoin. Okay, well, you know, we, that's, that's what we do. We want to find out what people will buy and then we'll throw a deal into the shell, which is the SPAC, so it's marketable. Yeah. But, yeah. You know? No, and we see it. We see it every day. It's fast. Yeah. Uh, blockchain SPAC. Then it's an energy SPAC, like uh, yeah. energy SPAC. Then you have an EV battery SPAC. It's yeah. like, dude, come on, dude. Like, it's. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what do you uh, want? It's like the guy who opens up his coat with all the watches. What do you want? You know, you don't want a Rolex. You know, <laughs> like, what do you want? I got, a, I got what you need. You know. Yeah. And like you I mean, said, Sean, these guys, yeah, they have no plans on doing anything with these companies. Right? It's just, it just take it for profit. Okay, that's it. Yep, I, I'm skeptical. I think we're there's going to be some stories down the road of a lot oh, of people getting fleeced in these things. Oh yeah, oh I'm sure. Kidding. I'm sure. I, I just thought, um, JJ, when uh, Sean mentioned uh, what was his name, uh, Najaro, Najarian, 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 John Najarian. That's um, that's Chris. Uh, that's Chris uh, Hank's friend, right? Buddy. Yeah, it's his buddy. He's also the guy that got me off my butt and got me exercising this summer. Yeah, uh, oh, really? It's either him or Pete the one of the brothers because they're always putting these get off your ass and start exercising before the open videos on twitter so i got you know i got sucked into his uh thing so which is good yeah that's yeah. great I, I well own, you know I the nigerian brothers they're uh, they're in good yeah. shape former yeah. football players <laughs> exactly yeah 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 no our uh, our buddy uh, chris hanks yeah former uh, floor trader he, he traded on the cboe right jay yes yes yeah CBOE. yeah we had him on the podcast he he, he knows the brothers he um also an options trader. Good guy. Shout out to Chris. Taught me a lot himself um, as a trader. Okay. Um, Sean, uh, what books are you currently reading? What book am I currently reading? Yeah. Yeah. What are you reading? Yeah. Well, at this very moment in time, I'm reading, is this anything by Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, how is it? How is it? It's good. It's not what I expected. I, I was I was kind of hoping it was going to be a book where it's just Jerry talking about his life and talking about his process and all yeah. that. Um, but what it really is, is it's basically a collection of all these jokes that he's written that I don't think he's ever performed live. Or maybe he has. He, he does, he's not really clear, but they're all these old jokes and you can read them from start to finish. And it's pretty cool. I mean, it's funny and there's a lot of funny stuff in there. Yeah, but yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, uh, just to go off on a little tangent here, obviously he's not a traitor, but I don't know how much you listen to Jerry Seinfeld like outside of comedy. He's been a frequent guest on podcasts a lot yeah. lately. He was recently on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And if you listen to Jerry Seinfeld talk and talk about his process when it comes to comedy and comedy writing and the, and the life and the process, if you're a trader and you're listening to Jerry Seinfeld talk, you're going to be nodding your head the entire way. There are so many commonalities between the life of a comic yeah. and the life of a trader. And I'm telling you guys, if you get a chance to listen to Jerry anywhere, anywhere he's talking where he's not just trying to be funny, he's just being himself. That guy is so enlightened. It's, it's really amazing. And I just, I can't get enough of Jerry Seinfeld these days. It's pretty funny. I'll watch anything he's on, whether it's a comedy special, whether it's an interview podcast, whatever. He's like, he's like my, my spiritual guru. <laughs> so I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, man, he's, uh, we, he's something. Oh, we love Jerry Seinfeld too, Sean. We we're, we're big fans of Jerry. Um, yeah, I love, I even just, I listened to that podcast, by the way, the Tim Ferriss one. That one was awesome. Um, oh yeah, I love, I love just the, the chat with, uh, in the car with the coffee. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's a good show. I, I love, love that show. Yeah, I love that show. Um, 
What about, because uh, this made me think of it as we're talking about Jerry. Um, I want to get his book, uh, but I haven't got it yet. Um, McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey's book. Have you I just read, read that? that? Yeah. How was that? Yeah. Good. How was it? It was good. And I've definitely gone down the rabbit hole with Matt McConaughey recently too. He's an interesting um, character, man. Oh man. He is a very interesting character. And, and he's, I mean, God damn it. I hate to admit it, but he's inspiring. Yeah, he is. No, I agree. I agree because he went on that podcast uh, like run. And so I started listening to him and I'm like, man, he just has a really good just mindset, just good perspective. He really does. He really does. And I've, I've the book we're talking about is Green Lights. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I just read it recently. If you haven't, if you haven't uh, caught on yet, I'm a total book nerd. I'm reading all the time. Um, cool. And Green Lights was a great book. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it was really insightful, really inspiring. Uh, you know, you really get to know the guy a little bit. Uh, I know I was, I've always been a Matt McConaughey fan, but yeah. um, the book was great. Yeah. Awesome. It, you strike me. I, you know, what I really like about uh, reading too, Sean, um, is, like I can, we can read about Jerry, we can read about Matthew and, and I could still somehow tie it back and relate it to trading, um, whether it's just about the mindset, just about the, the process. Um, and, and I think you can learn about trading from things that are like not quote unquote uh, trading related. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. I think some of the best tools that you're going to learn to help serve you in trading are probably found outside of the trading world. I mean, some of the books and, and things that have helped me the best, things like the Daily Stoic. That's a book. I mean, I've yeah. got it right here on my desk. It's right here. I, I, I'm staring at it every day. Yeah. I read it every day. Well, not every day, but I try to read it every day. But, you know, I, I, I take a lot from the Stoics and, and, and the mindset that they have. Um, I, I read books. I read a lot of motivational books, uh, you know, as, as cheesy as that sounds, but uh, I love books that inspire me to, that, that get me to think bigger. I mean, I, I honestly, I gotta be honest. I mean, throughout my entire life, I, I've battled like, like in my mind, I want to be this guy who's Mr. Optimism, Mr. High Energy and all that. But the reality is that sometimes I get down on myself, I get depressed, I get uh, pessimistic, I get, you know, whatever. And so I find a lot of value in reading books like uh, by Dale Carnegie and, and uh, uh, biographies about people like uh, Andrew Carnegie and uh, Vanderbilt and, you know, all these great successes and people that inspired people uh, to do great things. And, and to me, I get a lot of inspiration in trading by reading these books that have nothing to do with trading, but they're all about mindset. And, and, you know, getting your head right. Yeah. I think that's more valuable than reading, you know, the nuts and bolts about the stock market from, you know, Joe expert trader. Right. No, it, it absolutely is. I mean, uh, it's, I, anyone can learn like the technical aspects um, of trading. It's just, this is what's, what's between our ears is the hard part. I, I love you got the daily stoic. I, I, I actually, I, I listen to the podcast. He does like a three minute, uh, I guess he might read from the book. I don't know, but uh, Ryan holiday does a three minute um, daily stoic daily. Um, I love the the book. The, what was it? Um, Stillness is the key. I don't know if you've read that one. Amazing. Uh, I I think I have read it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it recently came out during the pandemic. But all right, um, all right. I probably know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Uh, so the line on the Bills game, it opened up at three, right? Bills three point favorite. It actually got bet down to two and a half. Uh, what do you think? What do you think about the line? Uh, and what side are you taking? Well, I, uh, I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I think it's going to come down to uh, the Bills defense versus the Ravens offense. Yeah, sure. Uh, the Bills defense is up and down. It's, it's shown flashes of greatness, yeah. but 
most of the season they've had a hard time stopping the run. And if they can't keep uh, Lamar Jackson in the pocket, it's going to be a long game. And, and my feeling is the bills are going to need to score 40 points to win the game, which I think they can do, yeah. uh, but they're going to have to score 40 points to win the game. That's, that's my thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's definitely a tough draw. I think like how, getting Lamar cause like anything can happen with him, you know, he, he breaks off some like runs. It's, it's like, a, it's like a high variance like game, you know? Um, but I, I like, I like your guys' chances. No, it's interesting. Cause you guys have always been more defensive minded, right? Like you guys have always had solid defenses, at least like probably in like the past decade. Um, and then this year it's been a little shaky, but it doesn't matter. You, you, when the offense is putting up so much points a game. Well, look guys, I, uh, I, I'm a kid who grew up, uh, in the nineties. Uh, I was in high school and college when the bills had that four super bowl in a row run. And, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, it, uh, it scarred my life, uh, diehard fan. And, uh, I think it's scarred a lot of lives in Buffalo, New York. Uh, a lot of people have, uh, um, I don't know. We all have some kind of deep, uh, deep things that psychologists need to get into our brains and uncover that the, the damage that the bills did to us during the, those four years. Yeah. I mean, man, they were such a great team, but just, they couldn't do it in the end every year. And it was just, ugh. that's brutal, man. That's brutal. That's, that's brutal. I mean, we, at least, at least the bills have made it to the Super Bowl, man. Like the jets, it's, uh, it's, it's brutal, man. You know, I mean, I like to tell my six-year-old son when I, when I talk about the bills history, I try not to talk about the four Super Bowl losses. I tell him four time AFC champions, four years in a row. No one's done that. There you go. There you go. That's, that's a positive spin on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I love it. All right. All right, Sean. Uh, I guess other than reading, uh, what, what other hobbies do you have outside of trading? Well, I live in Colorado. Uh, and so one of the favorite things I like to do is uh, I like to get out and hike in the mountains. Um, you know, for me, hiking is a, a bit of a, you know, walking meditation. Uh, I am a meditator, but uh, I love to go out and hike and just get out there. And, and the great thing about where I live in Colorado is, is there are plenty of places where, you know, I can get to within, you know, no more than a 20 minute drive where I can get in, get on a trail and go hike and not see another human for four hours. And, and I love that. I mean, I, I love people and I'm a very social person, but at the same time, I love alone time. I love being alone with my thoughts, whether I'm strategizing trading or something else, you know, I just, I love that quiet time and listening to the wind in the trees and, and uh, the birds and all that. And uh, I know it makes me sound like a hippie, but, but man, I, I, if, if I had to say one hobby, it's definitely that I love to hike uh, here in Colorado. It's just, it's, it's why I moved here. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I, since, I mean, you live in Colorado, is this, is this your uh, favorite place? I know you've lived around Buffalo, Tampa, Chicago, settled in Chicago or Colorado. Yeah. This is your favorite place to live. You know, I mean, I've loved everywhere I've lived. I mean, I've even loved Buffalo. I mean, I wanted to get the hell out of there as soon as I could, but you know, I still loved Buffalo and, and Tampa was great. Uh, we lived in Tampa for five years. It was a wonderful place to live. Uh, I could definitely see myself living there again if you know if life took us there. Yeah. Chicago was amazing. Ten years in Chicago. I loved it. I loved it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Colorado is awesome. The weather here is amazing. It's America's best kept weather secret. Yeah. Um, it's just it's so great here. Uh, you know. Yeah. There's you can see out my window. Maybe there's snow on the ground right now. But earlier today, when the sun was shining, I was outside in my short sleeve shirt. It's totally fine, totally comfortable, even though there's snow around. And it's like that all year. And January, February, 
yeah, we might get snow, but we also will get a random 75 degree day here. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Colorado's awesome. I, I don't have anything to bad about to say about any place I've lived. It's all great. And and will we stay here long term? Eh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, maybe we'll move out west even further someday. Who knows? Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. No, I it's 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 about like the the the, the attitude you bring to the to the place and just making the most of it. I love it. Yeah, I, I love Tampa. Tampa's a, a great city. I think it's a underrated. I like Tampa a lot. Yeah, Tampa's awesome. Tampa's yeah. such a great city. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I had season tickets to the Buccaneers when I lived down there, and my last season was the year they won, they won the Super Bowl. So I left on a high note. It was perfect. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. You know, I, I I've driven by the stadium plenty of times. I mean, I don't live close to Tampa, but I've been out to Tampa a few times. I love the I love the uh, the, the ship that they have in yeah. the stadium. That's dope. That's awesome. I always mm. love that. Yeah. So I I moved to Tampa in 1998, and that was the year that stadium opened. Oh, okay. And, uh, I got season tickets like the next year, and I had them for the next four years. Uh, so 2003 was my last season, and that's when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, and then I moved to Chicago in April on, on opening day for baseball Cubs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, it should be Tampa. The, the bucks are interesting this year. It's starting to get hot right now. We'll see how that ends. But, well, you and I could both agree. Uh, screw that Tom Brady guy. I'm tired of him. It's not right there. Yeah. Well, it's good for you. Got, you got out. You guys won the division, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> yeah, he's still playing well. It's uh, it's incredible, man. Um, it's amazing. It really is. It really is. So uh, that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the show, please rate and review it for us. If you guys would like to learn market auction theory, market profile, if you trade futures, equities, options, join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Sean, uh, tell the people where they can find you. Anything else you want them to know? Well, the places to find me are on Twitter. My handle is Chicago Sean. S-E-A-N is the way I spell my name. Uh, or you can go to my, uh, my blog, chicagoshawntrades.com. Those are the best two places to get me. All right. Awesome. JJ, parting words. Oh, thanks very much, Sean. Really uh, brought great energy to the show today. And uh, thanks for sharing your experience. It was uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fun meeting you. Be very curious to find out what. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for thinking me, thinking of me, and thanks for chasing me down. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, like, like JJ said, uh, appreciate the the energy. Really enjoyed the conversation, Sean. Appreciate Absolutely. it. So, so for Sean McLaughlin, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. Make sure you stop, though. So.